well, all these questions. So today, there's a two days left. Wednesday and Thursday. And of course, what begins ends, and uh, what comes together separates. So this is this is a reflection I've always used for years. Uh, you know, this on impermanence. So that you, because throughout your life, you know, it's just a experience of meeting and separating, beginning and ending. So. This you can carry on because it's it'll this will be what life what you experience throughout till till the big day the finale the <laughs> and if you're mindful you won't have to make a new entrance a rebirth. Now I don't mean sorry just how impo- much importance we give to words and. Uh, you know, to to the quality or the effect of words and not be aware of that, that how limited words are and and uh we're trying to in in uh, meditation we're simplifying rather than complicating. So like beginning and ending, birth and death and things like that are just conveying a sense of a of a beginning and an end. So this is uh, to see the to notice the ending of things is is recommended. Be aware of the exhalation or the uh, breath. How the inhalation, you know, is a, a rising and exhalation is a cessation. Or how the meeting is coming together is like this, and the separation is like this. Um, so whether you know it's here in Amravati or wherever, wherever you know, just going home and then going to work. I mean, separation is leaving, and then another meeting and the separating. So, so life is just. Uh, this is what life is experience we all have. Meetings, coming together, separating, beginnings and endings. Endings, just notice. How, you know, we don't like to, when we, we leave somebody, we don't want to say goodbye forever. We always say, it's usually see you again. Au revoir. Zai jin. Popgun mai. Of Zain. <laughs> Goodbye forever. That's too harsh, isn't it? Because, especially, you know, I notice like, like uh, I travel a lot, so I'm always, I've been here at this Amravati now for 25 years, nearly 25 years. So, this uh, coming together is like this, leaving is like this. So, you know, when, when I, they have this custom now, and I go, like when I went to uh, Russia, you know, they met me at, with rose petals, scattering rose petals. That's very sweet, isn't it? And they're <laughs> waiting to get into the car, 
separating. <laughs> well, this is, uh, I mean, there's always, you know, being aware of whenever I leave here. It's never, you know, it, it's, uh, it's always a kind of sadness about separating. Even though I'm, you know, I'm quite eager to go to Russia, yet, and as you look at the the reality of separation, it's, well, you know, usually if you hate the place, then you're glad to get out, but you might not quite like here, and, and so there, there's always, you know, just notice this sense of of uh, sadness, or the separation from the loved is like this. So we, you know, these are, these aren't like great traumas in my life, and that that I stay depressed for for a week. And I just just to tune in to to how things actually are, uh, you know, in this realm. We are, you know, feeling emotional, sensitive uh, forms in the universe. So even though we can we get ideas and and uh, that very, you know, we can hold on to to uh, views and opinions and principles and standards and and all the shoulds and shouldn'ts that we can think up which you know tend to make life look you know ideal and how it should be and uh, and then sometimes not really be aware of because when you're attached to ideas you you you're no longer sensitive ideas don't have any sensitive ability at all even the highest ideal of universal compassion. If you grasp the words, you won't be sensitive. You go around saying, we should all be, love everybody, and then, you know, and then hold on to that view, but you're not, you know, you may not recognize that if you, just by attachment to the ideal, you shut yourself off from the reality. So that's where this, uh, you know, idealist and highly principled uh, types of people can, you know, can give, uh, you know, tell us how we should be. But oftentimes they're they're cold as icebergs. They don't feel anything. uh, We should all love each other. And then the trouble is you you don't love enough. And so, uh, you know, the... The rational mind is not a sensitive uh, reality, and it's not supposed to be. It's about ideas, and, and so ideas are constructs. They can be good, bad, wrong ideas, but with awareness, where you know this is tuning into sensitivity to because this is what we are experiencing now is. This is a sensitive, you know, whole life, human lifetime is the is the experience of sensitivity. You know, and it is uh, can be very threatening because being sensitive, of course, implies uh, pleasure, pain, loss, and and you know, it's not just sensitive to beautiful to the beautiful and the the good, but sensitivity implies you know, pleasure and pain. And a lot of life is painful. A lot a lot of our life is loss, losing. It's getting old, isn't it? It's losing youth, losing bigger. 
it's, uh, you know, the experience of weakness and sickness, loss of loved ones, separations, divorces, disappointments. Um, we all watch our parents get old and die. You know, if we happen to live longer than they do, see our teachers and so forth get old and die. And uh, our partners or friends, uh, cats and dogs. So then in, in awareness, we're, we're not trying to not feel anymore and just say everything's impermanent and suffering because that, that's grasping the ideas of Buddhism, but it, it cuts you off from sensitivity. You know, so you can say, you should all keep the precepts and you should uh, practice meditation every day and develop metta practice. And I could tell you all about how you should, what you should do when you leave here and, and uh, you know, scold you for, you know, any kind of weakness or, or doubts and so forth. And then to be... Uh, you know, make you feel, uh, you know, intimidate you, scare you, or you'll just get angry and never come back, or you might just shoot me. So the sensitivity is, you know, this is, this notice like the the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body. This is, this is what it's about. The body itself is, is like this. And so it's it's it does it's pain, it has its pleasures, but a lot of a lot of it is painful, and we get tired, and our lives are involved with others. So there's the kind of joy at meeting, or uh, and then there's the the sadness, grief at separation. So that which is aware of this, this is the puto seeing the dhamma. This, you know, which doesn't mean we don't feel anymore, but it's, it's, it's being aware of feeling and receiving and accepting and allowing ourselves to feel life. So we're not trying to, you know, after 40 years of monastic life and meditation, you know, I feel more sensitive than I ever did before. Before I didn't understand it; it just frightened me. To be sensitive was it was scary because I didn't know understand it, and uh, there were so many didn't know myself, didn't know how to deal with with anything very well. Just you know, trying to find happiness and and uh, run away from situations that fri- were frightening or difficult. Avoidance, you know, you learn, I learned how to manipulate things and control things to protect myself because the being sensitive was, uh, was, you know, I didn't understand it, didn't know how to deal with it. And nobody was, te- nobody said a thing about it. And I come from a background where everything is 
how you should be, you know, ideals, and and uh, everybody had their own views and opinions about what I should be. So, uh, so then you know you just develop some ways of surviving in a society that that has, you know, in many ways it has many advantages and. In terms of understanding and uh, leading onward toward liberation, it was—it didn't offer anything. There was no nothing. You had to kind of, you know, that just happened by accident. You know, the, you know, chance meeting with Buddhism, things like that. So the world is, you know, the, the the sensitive state is frightening to everyone because, you know, you realize how vulnerable, how, uh, and what a lifetime is uh, of living within the human human body for a lifetime, and yet how we would like, you know, like it to be, you know, the the experience of happiness and fulfillment and security. But with awareness, then we're 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 accepting the totality of it. So that includes happiness and suffering. It includes everything. There's no you know this this ability to include, to embrace, to be the totality itself is is uh, is what mindfulness does. It's not like uh, you know. I think Krishnamurti called it choiceless awareness, and then there's a non-dualism, and then there's different different ways of describing it. But like choiceless awareness, in that usually we're picking and choosing. You know, we we want this, don't want that. Now, wanting and not wanting, and liking and disliking—that's, that's, that's uh, you know, that's so. Uh, you know, we 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 get caught in that trying to get what we want and avoid what we don't want, and following our own preferences, and and that is is you know just the way that we tend to operate if we don't awaken to that. So notice in the second noble truth, this desire, the bhavadanha vipavadanha. It's uh, this is understanding, wanting and not wanting. Understanding means that we don't, we're not preferring one over the other. We're accepting both, so that because we we you know we, if we take side, you know if we only you know follow our preferences then. It creates this, you know, where we live in fear and resentment toward if we don't get our own way and don't get what we want, or life goes against us. You know, things can go all wrong. We can lose all our loved ones, lose our money, lose our health, lose our cat, lose our car, lose our life insurance our health insurance, 
and all kinds of terrible things happening to people all the time that are unfair and shouldn't be. But but there's no guarantee, is there, that 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 we're going to have something forever, or that life is going to uh, follow our desires. So this way is, uh, you know, not to seek, not to create a a world where you constantly have to worry about it, but to simplify life. Move towards simplicity rather than towards complexity. So, in, for example, monastic life, Buddhist monasticism, is a simplification of everything. Simple. You know, I don't have to decide what I want to wear th- today. It's the same thing. They have to say, well, this makes life much more easy, you know, because you don't, uh, you know, there is a, it gets complicated when you, you know, you have to choose between different types of outfits and or you th- to get the food, you know, you just, what people offer and, and you know, so in many ways it looks like an aesthetic life, you know, of denial and renunciation, but it's actually simplification. So my life right now is very, very simple. You know, there's nothing complicated in it. And, uh, you know, so the ha- that, that awareness is, uh, I don't have to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, trying to make decisions about worldly things or choosing this over that. So sometimes, I remember when, you know, people would take me to a restaurant or something for a meal and, present me with a menu. And you know, if you've been an alms mendicant for a long time and then you have to choose something on a menu, they, they say, we want you to choose something you really like. And I haven't thought like that, you know, for years. So, so uh, uh, yeah, they say, what would you choose? Because <laughs> I, you know, I don't, don't particularly, I'm not that interested in what I eat, actually. So it, it's not, uh, you know, something that, and I'm glad I don't have to spend my life thinking about what, you know, cooking food and what I'm going to eat. Just take what I get. So that's a simplification. Not having money, you know, we don't, is it makes life much more simple. You know, I've been all over the world without ever having a, a penny in my pocket. I've lived 30 years in England. I've never, never touched uh, English money. That sounds like boasting, doesn't it? Not many people can make such claims. So, I mean, this is, you know, it sounds like it would, life would be difficult if you, but it's not, you know. So, you know, if you're a, an arms mendicant, then you, you know, you go, if nobody invites you, you stay where you are. But people are so generous and so, you know, eager for me to go places that they provide the means. I don't even have to think about it. They send me the airplane tickets. And now I'm so old, they're sending sending me an executive. So it is rather ironic, you know. The, <laughs> be a penniless beggar and then <laughs> travel executive class puts you up in the best hotels. But that's not expectation either, you see. So it's not 
you know, not demand or expectation or request. So this gives me the opportunity to reflect a lot, you know, to observe and and learn from experience. So the the um, you know the frustration and doubts and the the um, just the you know what what I meet you know what comes up in my life in in my consciousness when, wherever I am and being aware of it not from the personal angle you know judgment uh, as if it's me or mine but it is what it is. So this makes life much, it's quite easy, it's not not difficult. And you know that there's no self, so you're not trying to, you don't feel you have to prove anything or be anybody. Of course the thing is when you're you're a senior monk and you're well known, things like that, people do, uh, you know, they project a lot, you know, they see you in terms of uh, being a teacher, meditation teacher, or famous person, or um, an enlightened master, or or that American monk, and or whatever. One of those Vinaya fanatics, you know, they 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 really hung up on discipline. Uh, People sometimes see me as that. They think I'm a Vinaya fanatic. Or, uh, or that I'm attached to uh, monastic traditions that no longer are seem appropriate, or that are unfair because we don't have bikunis and things like this. So there's a whole, you know, a whole range of expectation projection, and uh, and this does affect. You know, you have. You know, you see how what people are expecting something or or uh, projecting, and so my my attitude is not to to do that myself, not to create myself, or you know to or to even resent the what other people think I am or should be, so that. The way of staying centered is always in this with this uh, awareness, trusting it and and resting in it. So that uh, you know, I'm not creating uh, uh, anything. You know, even if with the with the with the uh, labels or the titles or the convention. Well, that's uh, that's freedom too. That's simplicity. Where if I if I see myself as an important person or important monk or famous monk or something like that, then that very perception st- it gets complicated. Because uh, you know, if, if if I'm not aware, then then I then I start trying to act like that, or people encourage me to act in that way, or I think they are, so that one plays roles or feels obliged to perform in various ways. So this is where the the simplification is, is with awareness. 
So this is like this, using this sound of silence, this has been my, my technique. Because with that, I can stay centered all the time. And uh, wherever I am. And then there's no self, non-attachment. Or if I start attaching to things or reacting to things, just by referring back to the sound of silence, I'm, uh, I'm be, you know, I recognize it as kind of what I'm doing. Yeah, because, uh, you know, sometimes things get very intimidating and, and I tend to, you know, I can lose it. But there's also, you know, a very quick way of, of, of remembering this is it. In the, you know, you see, uh, I've had to watch so many disrobe and disrobe them myself. I had to. It's one of my duties here in England. Disrobing monks and nuns. I don't like. I ordain them too, but the and that I like quite do like doing that. But the the other I don't <laughs> because. Uh, you know, you, it's just like that, you, you, you do, there's strong bonds forming and in ways that you don't maybe all that conscious of till, till that particular bond of monastic, that monastic bond is broken. So, it surprised me, some of the emotions I felt when, when monks, nuns disrobe. And there's always a bit of grief or a separation or loss involved with it. And yet, rationally, I can, you know, understand it, no problem, you know, and not, and no problem, you know, seeing what, you know, the reasons for disrobing and understanding and, and all that on the level of the rational mind. But then, how it affects emotion, you know, emotionally. And then, uh, then you think, uh, when my mother died, you know, I, I uh, was giving a retreat in uh, California, and my parent, my mother lived in uh, Southern California. So, she, uh, I went to see my mother before I went to this retreat. So I was in San Diego, and... Uh, and then um, my mother and sister took me to the uh, San Diego airport, waved goodbye, my mother, bye dear, and flew up to uh, San Francisco and spent the night in somebody's house and we were, and then we were going to drive out to Santa Rosa to give a retreat. Uh, and uh, before we left, uh, suddenly my sister phones and tells me my mother died. So she just died very quickly, you know. So now I had to give this retreat, start giving a retreat, which is about the last thing I wanted to do, you know. But people were, you know, they brought me all the way from England out to California to give this. And then in the middle of the retreat, I had to go to the funeral, fly down to San Diego and back, you know, to the funeral. So it was being aware of this, you know, the sound of silence, being aware of, of the feeling of grief. And, uh, you know, not trying to control it even, but 
or you know I could see a tendency to to uh, you know to not want to show emotion or feel things when I'm especially in you know teaching a retreat um, and yet the the obviously obvious grief that one feels when somebody important as your mother dies because you only have one mother and one father when they're gone that's finito you know you never get another one so uh, it's like that so I went to the they were Roman Catholics my my whole family they gave up on the Anglican high church in America and they became Roman Catholics uh, and so they had a Catholic funeral and I had to go to that and and uh, I remember you know everything was avoidance at this funeral everything was was trying to make you feel you know like saying nice things soothing things and and uh, it it just seemed you know there was you know, the 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 body was in a casket with a beautiful satin cloth over it and and everybody was being you know very good about the whole thing saying how wonderful my mother was and the priest said, you know, she's a wonderful woman and I'm sure right now she's up in heaven with the Lord. And, you know, and I could see that they're trying to make you feel good, make everybody feel good by saying these comforting things. But if you, you know, in a Buddhist funeral, they're much more, I found, you know, where you're just contemplating death, the reality of death and and loss, what it's like, you know, to be aware of, of grief and loss is like this and and they weren't doing that at all it was all you know saying nice things and trying to comfort people by saying things that you know I found rather you know rather superficial and meaningless to me then we they were buried in the Catholic cemetery in San Diego we had after the funeral in the church, we drove there, and they had uh, buried you know they had the hole dug, and they had the contraption over the hole, and they put the coffin on this contraption, so it was above the ground, you know, and then put flowers on and wreaths and and made it look pretty and then uh, we all stood around the priest came and said a prayer, and then uh, Everybody left. So I was standing there, and I didn't want to leave. I wanted to help lower the coffin into the hole and help fill in the hole. So the uh, grave diggers came, and they said, you have to go now. And I said, well, can I watch? And they said, no, no, it's forbidden. It's against the, the rules here. Well, I'd like to help bury her. And they said, you can't do it. It's against the rules. You have to go. You know, so there was, you know, this uh, totally heartless kind of denial of of that whole affair, so mechanical, so such a far, such a cover-up. Where my experience with Buddhist funerals, like, uh, you know, they're really you're really contemplating this. You know, what you're feeling. You're open to the grief to 
to the fear maybe of of death. The whole thing is addressed, like with uh, in my experience with Buddhist funerals with Ajahn Chah. You know, they were they were incredibly powerful and meaningful because you know everything was to be reflected upon because death is an important event, isn't it? We're all going to die. And then we all have to see friends, loved ones, parents die before we do. So death is, is you know, the end of a life. And so it's, it's uh, one of the important things to understand. And yet, in modern society, it's the one, you know, it's not politically correct, you're not very proper, you're rude. It's if you go to a nice cocktail party in London and talk about death, you'll probably be told to leave, you know, because it's just not very nice to talk about that. So this is this is where, you know, but yet death is, is, is you know, the important event of our life. Maybe life is a, is a preparation for that event. I sometimes like to see think of that is that, that this is a preparation for for death, and that's not morbid or it's just realizing that that death is natural and the end of what you know the end of what was born. And in terms of using the word death, now it's about the death of a body of somebody's body or one's own. And are we ready for it, you know? Can we, do we have any, any understanding or acceptance of it? And so this is where, you know, the Buddha regarded old age, sickness, death as the kind of messengers, awakening messengers, heavenly messengers are there to awaken us to Dhamma. And in modern society, isn't it, these are the messengers here in Britain, you know, old people, the sickness, the terminally ill, uh, the the mentally distressed, all the all the all these things are David Dutas, they're messengers warning us, awakening us, rather than just uh, well something to to avoid or ignore. So in, uh, like with Ajahn Yanarato, and has his, you know, the cancer of the bladder, you know, we could look at it as a devaduta, rather, you know, a messenger, rather than, why is this happening to such a nice monk, everything. What kind of karma? You know, he's such a good monk. Did he do anything wrong? I've heard people, you know, talk like this. What did I do to get cancer, terminal cancer? So it's like, well, you got born. That's what happened. When you're born, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, anything. The sky's the limit. You notice those that aren't born yet don't have this problem. If you're not born, you don't get old, and you don't get cancer. Yeah. So this is, you know, this, uh, this, these, the, the, these, uh, these messengers, and then the, then the samana, the, the meditator, the yogi, the sadhu, the monk, the nun are, 
messengers, you know, rather than, you know, seeing that this I see this form is is almost an archetype, you know, the the Buddhist monk, the shaven head and the robe. It's because it it has a powerful effect on you know even in a country where it generally people don't know what it is because it's a messenger or it's a you know it's not to see oneself as some kind of ominous messenger death enters Britain the <laughs> grim reaper as on the succeditti level but I mean this is it is you know it is a People see it, and it and it does have people do re- react to it, and then people do are interested if you, you know, in you know if you if you can get them to, to uh, look at death, at their own dying experience, or somebody else's. So, in preparation for the physical death, then it's. it's this reflection on cessation or on the ending, on the exhalation, on separation, on loss. Don't, you know, really see this is to take an interest in it, to notice uh, what it's like to when, when you lose somebody or lose something, even a, an object that you're very attached to. It's like this. One can feel incredible grief over loss of a of a pet. And you say, it's only a cat, you know, so what? But yet, you know, one gets very attached, very, uh, you know, to to a cat or a dog, and so that, you know, emotionally we very, we can feel very, you know, there's great love can be generated, and when that is you know when the when the pet dies it's like this grief is a natural natural uh, result of uh, that when when that which we love dies it's like this so in terms of grief you know being aware of grief rather than well if I'm mindful I'll never grieve sometimes we think of the more mindful you are then you won't feel anything like the arahant, probably somebody that yeah, can't die, so what? Everything's impermanent. My problem. Mother dies. Hmm? Monks disrobe. Way it is. Now that is uh, that's an I- that's maybe an ideal. You know, you've got the idea, but the reality is is like this. And and then it's it's uh, you know it's 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 the wisdom. The wisdom comes from this this discernment. And so emphasizing again the, the difference between the critical mind, which is your thinking mind, and the discerning wisdom. Now most time people don't know the difference, you know. They think wisdom is, is maybe the critical mind on a higher level. But the the critical mind is the thinking mind, you know, this so you're comparing one thing with another, and so that there's always, you know, some things are bigger or better or smaller or worse. 
like the inhalation exhalation of, uh, of say at the nostrils you think there's no difference but if you observe it's different as experience you know inhalations like this exhalations like this that's discerning that you know you're, you're not saying inhaling is better <laughs> than exhaling you might prefer inhaling you know you know I find it very easy to concentrate on inhalation and to keep awareness. When I first started meditating, you know, and they they teaching me Anapanasati, I found it very easy to be fully aware of the inhalation and mind wander on the exhalation. And I think, well, that's the story of my life, you know. Inspiration makes me feel good. I love inspiration and, and interesting things to do. And I'm interested, you know, I have no trouble concentrating on something I'm interested in. And when I'm really interested and happy and and inspired, you know, I feel really good. Life is great, wonderful. When things are going my way, it's like, you know, it's, it's like the in, inhalation, you know. It's so easy to just, to you know, to stay with it and enjoy it. And then the exhalation, the wandering, the... Um, the disappointment, the not getting what I want, uh, depression, despair, grief, sorrow, uh, sickness and pain, being cold and hungry, uh, all on, on like this. These are, you, know, you just, you, you know, you you want to get rid of them as quickly as possible. You want to get rid of hunger and thirst and being cold and and uh, you don't want to feel uh, pain or or loss or grief or anything like this depression despair so that that the devadutas then are you know pointing to this as as the you know a, a whole life is like this it's not you know, it's not just an in inhalation. It's not youth and and success and happiness. It, that's part of it. But then the, it, it, it also the condition for the other. And that's just the way it is. Now, to be aware of that with aware, you know, mindfulness allows us to accept the totality of that. So it's not we're just taking a negative view that all ends up in death and grief. You know, you're going to lose everything you like anyway. And uh, we're all going to die. And uh, life sucks. It's just, you know, get prepared. It's all totally disappointed anyway. I mean, this is, a, this is obviously a depressed state. Sometimes you feel like that. But it, you know, if you, you know, if you grasp those, those the kind of mental states, but seen from awareness, then you realize that you know you're you're not preferring one over the other. You are able to to receive both pleasure, pain, success, failure, praise, and blame, happiness, and suffering. So this is you know when we talk about the deathless. This is not just a you know, a kind of nice thought of, you're not really going to die, you know, just, 
what's the problem, you know, take refuge in the deathless. But that, you know, just grasping, or because you, you, you're afraid of death, you, you want to believe, well, you don't really die. Or you feel, well, you have a soul that goes on, you know. Soul, you know, like somebody, my mother's soul is still, you know, alive in the world. And uh, maybe your body's gone, but I feel her presence. <laughs> but the, uh, I'm not prone to that kind of experience, actually. But, but, the, uh, but I don't demand it either, because, you know, on the level of consciousness, on, that, on this, this the reality of consciousness, is more and more as you, as you recognize and appreciate, that's a oneness, that's oneness deathless and you're you're so you're 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 not seeking it uh, preferring it to to the death to the conditioned realm but it, it it's a way of of learning and observing the conditioned realm it's not a judgment against the conditioned realm or a rejection of it in other words it's not dualistic if you're just opposing the uncondi- uh, unconditioned with a condition, it sounds very dualistic again. But you see, it's not that. It's not like the, the unconditioned or the deathless or nibbana is is not a you know opposed to the conditioned and the death bound. But it's it's the way of of discerning because in this in the state that we're in where we're in a mortal form incarcerated in a human body in a sense realm this is what you know this is the opportunity to to realize this this is the the only reason i see for being human being this is the the great opportunity that we have the rest you know just procreating and and um, surviving I can understand that you know in in terms of you know wanting to live and keep you know keep procreating the species but but it still uh, you know it still binds you to the to the birth and death process you have no perspective on it where the human the human birth is one where we have this ability, the Buddha, the Buddha nature, or the Buddha con- consciousness with with Buddha, or knowing, reflective, uh, use uh, wisdom, wisdom faculty, discerning from the experience of of uh, of our own mortal body and. Uh, and emotional habits and karma and all the rest. I see no other reason. The rest, you know, just you know, a meteor could come from outer space and the whole planet explode and we'd all be dead in an instant, and all the species would go with it. I mean, you look out at the sky at night, you know, you realize you don't know what's out there ready to crash into planet Earth. Uh, you know, they talk about what they see, you know, all kinds of things 
zooming about. <coughs> so don't take planet Earth as kind of, you know, a safe place. But in terms of of uh, opportunity, it is, you know, this opportunity that we have to learn ultimate, to recognize ultimate reality within the very uh, powerful experience of being incarnated in a in a human body in a sense realm now that's rather amazing isn't it wonderful in its way because you know try to i've never never could fe- see the point of life actually you know why you know if god created why he would want to create this you know, in terms of of uh, of the conditioned mind, and then you know, why did he create dinosaurs? You know, why did God create just lovely things? Dinosaurs, you know, they look pretty horrible, and then they're you know, ugly, and then they you know, spiky teeth, and, and you know, eat, you know, they kill each other, and then survival of the fittest. The whole animal realm is on that level, isn't it? It's all, you know, one species eating another. And we eat all kinds of species. And we, our life depends on, on killing and, and uh, you know, dominating the other species. And, um, and yet we can think in terms of compassion and love for all sentient creatures. At the same time, we need to eat them too. And then if you become a vegetarian, then you get even more idealistic. If you carry that to obscene, you, you won't be able to eat anything. Even breathe, you'll have to stop breathing. Because you don't know how many microbes you kill when you breathe in. And you, you wouldn't take uh, antibiotics because you might kill uh, the germs. That uh, I mean, it's carrying, uh, you know, the, the ideals of nonviolence to absurdity, isn't it? Where you know, the it's it's pointless to to be just idealistic and carrying it to to its ultimate absurdity. So in in the Buddhist, uh, it's learning to recognize and realize the condition as the condition discern it, it's what arises ceases, what begins ends. And then that frees us from the delusion of I am a mortal being, I am this body, and the fear and the suffering that comes from that uninvestigated assumption that that blind position. So I've answered all these questions.